Welcome to the C3 Silicon Valley Church Podcast. Senior pastors Adam and Kira Smalcom are so excited to share this message with you and believe that God will speak to you through it. Here at C3SV, we know that God has the best in store for you today and every day. Today I want to have a look at not so much resolutions. Today I want to do something different and I've entitled this sermon New Year's Revolutions. Kind of a bit of a play on words, and I thought it was really clever at the time when we came up for it, but the more I say it, the more less clever it actually sounds. But, but the idea of not so much making resolutions in, in 2014, but planning on being revolutionaries in 2014, and coming from the idea and the definition of what a revolutionary is, which is someone who has a major sudden impact on society. I think we can all be revolutionaries. People who have a major and sudden impact on society. I want to ask you this question. What would you do if you had everything that you resolved to have? What would you, how would you impact society? What would you do for God if you had that body you desired in 2014? How would that change the way you serve God? Or how would you impact society and how would you impact the community around you? How would you fulfill the call of God in your life if you had better education? How would you be a better believer? How would you be a better Christian? How would you serve God in a greater measure if you had those finances that you were hoping to save? Good question. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm all about resolutions. I like resolutions. I, I have, I'm, I'm a goals guy. Just ask my staff. I like having goals. I like having plans. But, but I want to look at today, maybe, maybe we, could, we could shift our resolve toward identifying and, and, and really utilizing the gifts that and, the, and really what we do have rather than focusing on what we don't have. Maybe we could just do that at the beginning of the year. That might be a little bit crazy, I know, but we're that crazy church. That was said this morning, and I just thought, I like that. That's going to be our new catchphrase. We're that crazy church. <laughs> Let's turn to Judges, uh, Judges chapter 6 real quick. If you can turn there with me. Are we okay, church? Yeah. Everyone's like really quiet, nervous, excited. You don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do either. Judges chapter 6, and we're going to draw from story. I'm going to talk about a few little different revolutionaries this morning, uh, but... This morning, I want to draw from the life of Gideon, who I feel is probably my favorite revolutionary, because I can relate to Gideon. Anybody relate to Gideon? Gideon kind of didn't have a real high uh, perspective of himself. His self-esteem wasn't that great, and, and I can relate to that. Judges chapter 6, I want to look at, uh, in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, I'm going to read this. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. 
I haven't titled this sermon, as I mentioned before, New Year's Revolutions, and I would encourage you to take notes uh, because you might go to heaven (laughs) if you do. There's a good chance you will. There's a better chance if you go to heaven if you take notes than if you don't take notes. I'm just saying because it helps. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity together this morning. Lord, we pray that you would just that you would just reveal, that you would unveil, Lord, everything that you have for us. God, that you would speak to us so clearly, Lord, that we would hear your voice. Lord, I pray for clarity this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak right into people's hearts, that you would set people free today. Lord, that there would be not just a setting free, but a setting in motion. Lord, you would release us into every plan that you have for us. Lord, that we would begin to take steps toward being influencers. Lord, to having a great effect for your kingdom and in the Silicon Valley. And Lord, we bless you. And Lord, also, Lord, we just, we just want to lift up the 49ers, Lord, in their hour of need. God, would your blessing come before them, warm their hearts, warm that field. In Jesus' name, we pray for a victory. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Just had to do that for Medi and everyone wearing their 49ers jerseys today. So I wanted to give you three points this morning. I'm going to give you a three-point sermon, then we're going to pray for some people, we're going to anoint people in our anointing service today. But, but you can go ahead and, and write this one at the beginning, the first point. You can write this down at the top of your notes. And this is point number one. Weakness is the new strength. Weakness is the new strength. Has anybody ever been given a task that is beyond your ability? Anybody ever been in a job role that is outside of your skill set? Like that you feel like you're in the deep end and you have no idea how to swim? Anybody been there before? I've been there. I remember this one time, and I've shared this story with a few people before, but, but back when I was, when I was studying uh, Bible college, I was also working part-time as an electrician, just doing electrical work, and, and I wanted to get married, but, but I didn't have the funds to, to, to get married. I didn't have the funds to support myself, let alone, alone a wife, and so I, I thought, you know what, I need to get a better job. I need to get a, a, a higher paying job. And I remember I applied for a, a tradesman position. I wasn't a tradesman, I was an apprentice. I didn't have the qualifications for it, but I, that didn't stop me applying. And it's funny how often in the process of going for a job, they actually don't ask for the qualifications. Anyway, so I remember I went for this, this job and I, and I got this job as an electrician. And I was pretty pumped because the pay was going to be phenomenal. And I was like, I was super, super excited about this. And I remember as I, as I started one week into the job, my, my boss said, well, I'm going to be going away for a month. You're going to be on the, you're going to be on the emergency call. And I'm like, I, I don't know what that is. Like, that's, like, that means I have to actually go and fix stuff if something breaks down on my own. He's like, yeah, that's exactly right. You'll be around the clock, emergency. If something goes down, you're the man. I didn't know what I was doing. So I'm freaking out just quietly. And I remember he went off on, but I didn't want to tell him because I just got the job, right? The pay was good. I didn't want to tell him. I didn't know what I'm doing. I faked my way into this job. This is like confession time for me. I'm feeling really good. <laughs> I know this is on podcast, I might incriminate myself, but if your house hasn't burnt down now, it's never going to burn down, okay? But I, I remember I, I went on this, and it was a couple of days after he'd left, I hadn't had an emergency call yet, I was feeling pretty good. It might have been because my phone was off, but, but I remember turning it back, I turned it on, and then that, that evening, it was about 9pm, I got this emergency phone call, there was, a, there was like an apartment building that had, all the power was gone, for some reason the power went out. And, I, and, and I'm like, okay, right, I'm going to check. You sure the other buildings have got power? They're like, oh, yeah, they've all got power. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll be out there, like hero to the rescue. 
And I went out there and the whole way out there, I'm praying. I'm like, I have no idea what to do. I don't know where I start. I'm thinking, okay, I should find an electrical box or a cupboard. Like maybe there's a storeroom with a wires and stuff. I'm going to go in there. I'm the electrician, remember. <laughs> Just let me paint the picture right. I'm the one who's going to fix all the problems, but I have no idea what I'm doing. And I remember getting out there and there was like a couple of the residents and the, and the foreman guy, he's, he's there and they're like, oh, okay, so here's the electrical cupboard, go fix it. And I remember I walked in there and they went to walk in with me, but I closed the door behind me because I didn't want them to see me like pulling my hair out, going, what am I doing? And I, can, I remember I, got, I had like my, my tools because the boss gave me tools. I didn't even know what tool was what, which, but I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm like, they're outside the door. They better hear something going on. So I start banging this thing, right? And I was like literally banging the power board. I'm like, it's not working. So I start pulling out fuses and I literally did this because I saw my dad do it once. I pulled out a fuse and I blew it. <laughs> I put it back in. Still didn't work. And I'm in there literally for about 30 minutes. And they must be thinking I'm like rewiring the whole cupboard, you know, like changing things around. I, I went out now and then just to get some more tools. And I make sure I grab a little bit of loose cable and I put that over my shoulder. You know, like, oh, man, such hard work. There's a lot of, a lot of damage in here, you know. Long story short, I'm in there and I'm like, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm like, God, you've got to do something. I can't stay in here all night. You've got to do something. And I'm praying and nothing's happening. And all of a sudden I get up just to go out and tell them like, guys, I don't know what I'm doing. I had resolved. I was going to say, oh, we need a professional in here. This is a big job, this one. And as I'm, as I'm about to head out, all of a sudden, bam, the light goes on. And I'm like, yes, what do I do? What do I do? So I just walk out and they're like, oh, man, that's great. It came on. And I'm like, yep, it's all fixed. What had happened Long story short was there was like this was such a big set of units it had its own power grid that was out it had nothing to do with them it was just to do with the energy supplier but the perfect timing of God I got to tell you I got to tell you the perfect timing of God will save you and I got to tell you this is how Gideon feeling right now see the connection Gideon has had God come to him, show up and say, Gideon, you're my man that's going to save the nation. How do you think Gideon's feeling? Gideon's kind of thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like the weakest. I, and you've got to understand the setting. That we, we often, and I've preached this, and I had a little bit of conviction when I was preparing this message because I've preached this before, where, where we, kind of, we kind of mock Gideon. Like, what a weakling. You know, Gideon, man, he's like, such a weak guy, God's giving him an opportunity and God's calling him all these great names like Mighty Hero and then he's like backing out. But, but let's, let's put it in perspective. The Midianites have been under attack for seven years. For seven, sorry, the Midianites have been attacking the Israelites for seven years. For seven years, they've been having to hide in caves. They've been up in the mountains, out of the valley. Every time they would grow crops, the Midianites would come in and they would like steal all their crops and, and they were driven to the point of starvation. So here we've got Gideon who's hiding in a wine press. Yes, but he's, he's really just trying to save the wheat. He's trying to, he's trying to get some food together so that they don't get, doesn't get stolen. And it's right at this point where, where God shows up. And I love it because it says this in verse 11, And the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Isn't it interesting 
that we innately see weakness as a disqualifier from being used by God. I think it's really interesting. And I love in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there is a, there is a conversation, so to speak, or what Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church. And he's, he's defending himself against these so-called super apostles that have come into the church that are trying to, trying to kind of big note themselves and disqualify Paul. The whole argument is that, man, they're they are so much more, so far superior than Paul because they're well-spoken, they're loaded, they've got, they've got the look, they've got the robes, they've got the outfit, they've got the recommendations from Rome, they've got everything that, that is really what qualifies a great apostle. But Paul writes them and he's, Paul's on the other end of the spectrum. Paul's in and out of prison. Paul's got, he's been beaten up all the time. He doesn't own a thing. He's homeless. He's, he, he's in trouble all the time. He's always having run-ins with the law. Paul has got sickness. He's got ailments that he, that he calls his thorn in the flesh. And he's actually, everything that they see as qualifiers, Paul is, would be considered a disqualifier. But I love this in 2 Corinthians. It says this in verse 8. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. This is Paul speaking. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul here is, he's kind of going against the trend, what, what people have always seen as, well, strengthness, charisma, all that sort of stuff. That's what is a qualifier to be used by God. Paul is saying, well, hang on. In fact, it's the opposite. In my weakness is when God's strength or Christ's glory is most manifest. Are we here, church? This is what Paul's saying. Paul is really saying that, that weakness is the new strong. That's our, our new strength. Forget what these super apostles are saying. Forget what, what, what they say look like on the outside, the money that they have. Man, I've been through shipwreck. I've been through persecution. I've been beat up more times than you've had breath in your lungs. Come on, I am, I am weak. But in my weakness is where Christ's strength is glorified. Because it's not about me, it's about Him. I am simply a reflection of Christ. We're getting some traction. Here's something foundational for you to know with your walk with God. The power of Christ becomes more visible as it works through our weakness. God's grace is not just unmerited favor that saves us. God's grace is also a force that sustains us through our lives. Come on, God's grace wasn't there. It wasn't just sufficient for us to enter into kingdom only just to get there and say, well, now you're on your own. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that sustains us throughout our life. When we're facing opposition, when we're facing trial, when we're facing circumstances, the grace of God that was there to redeem us into salvation is the same grace of God that's still there to get us through the trial. So when I rely on God's grace, when I rely on His power, then He is glorified all the more through me. I don't know if you know the story of Gideon, but God, what God does is He actually whittles down Gideon's army even more so that the opposition would be greater because in his weakness, God is glorified. Thank you. Hopefully it catches like the second row and the third row. And, and, and by the end of the sermon, I know the back row, you guys are going to be really loving this. You might even be standing up and don't, I, I don't know, let's not get crazy. What was evident to Gideon was his weakness. 
And what he knew was that out of all the tribes, his tribe was the weakest, and out of his tribe, he was like, he was like the least. He was the nobody. Because Gideon had actually been conditioned to see the areas of weakness. Gideon, after seven years of oppression, Gideon had, he, he had been conditioned to time and time again to see the, the areas of weakness in his life. And he, he, he knew who he wasn't. He knew that he wasn't a hero. What he didn't realize was it wasn't about what he saw. It was really all about what God saw. Because what God saw was an opportunity for glory to be shown. That's what, that's what God saw in Gideon. Sometimes in the natural, you might be facing defeat. Circumstance might, might even be overtaking you. But that circumstance doesn't have to define you. There's purpose in the circumstance because that circumstance can refine you. But, but, but circumstance doesn't define you. It's what Jesus speaks over your life that defines you. Right? That's what, that's what defined Gideon. God called him mighty hero. And you might have some valleys in, you might have had some valleys in 2013. I got to tell you, you, you will have some valleys in 2014. No, we're not, I'm not preaching that prosperity message. We're saying, hey, New Year's here. You're not going to have any trouble. You're not going to have any, any problems. There's not going to be any circumstance. I, I'm going to guarantee you there's going to be problems. You're like, this is the worst message ever. But I'm telling the truth. I'm just preaching the truth. Jesus said that if you follow me, you will face calamity. If you follow me, there will be persecution. There will be opposition for my name's sake. That's the one thing that's guaranteed. Follow Jesus, there will be trial. But greater is he who is in me than he that is against me. In my weakness, I find strength. Because it's not about my strength, it's about his strength. God is in the business of taking your valley moments and using them to set you up for mountaintop miracles. That's what God's in the business of. And maybe God chose Gideon in spite of his weakness. Maybe God chose Gideon because of his weakness. But I know that God is all about making miracles out of the mundane. That which we think is mundane, that which we think is average, that which we think is, is, is not really that impressive. Come on, God loves that because what God loves to do is He loves to take that mundane. God loves to take that unimpressive. God loves to take what you have right now that you don't think is very special, that you don't think is very much. And God loves to make a miracle out of that. I don't know what you think. Maybe you think your job's boring. i got to tell you, God, just see what God can do when you pro- provide that as a platform for miracles. Just see what God can do with your, your boring job. Just see what God can, can do with your finances. Just see what God can do with that body that you've got right now. Hello. <laughs> might be saggy. Might be flabby. Doesn't matter. Come on, how many people know God can do a lot with a saggy, flabby body? God doesn't need a tight, trim, toned body to do something miraculous. Because in your weakness, God's strength shines through. You might not think you're educated enough to reach the Silicon Valley. I remember there was this one moment when we first arrived. We were, like, we were in the country like maybe three or four months and I got invited to speak at Stanford uh, University, one of the ministries there. And, and I can remember as, I'm, as, I'm, as I was preaching, I was outlining on one of the chalkboards. Why they still got chalkboards? I don't know. Get with the times, Stanford. But, <laughs> but there was a chalkboard 
And I can remember, Vince, you were there. I remember I was, I was like writing the steps of salvation on this chalkboard. And, and, and underneath you can see like years and years and years of different scribbling and writing and formulas and all these liberal thoughts. And, and I'm just imagining all the, all the different thoughts and expressions that have been written. Over the top, I'm writing the steps of salvation. I'm having a little moment. I had to stop. I'm like, guys, I'm just having a little moment because right now I'm just, I went to Hillsborough Public School. And I'm teaching Stanford kids. That wasn't in my notes. That was for free. God is into taking our disqualifiers and reminding us that they're the very qualifiers for him. Because the word says his grace is all you need. His power works best in weakness. So when you are weak, then you are strong. And I have to tell you that 2014 will have valleys. But 2014 will also have mountaintops. And here's the thing. Even though you go through valleys, and this is why we need to be led by faith. This is why we're not led by sight. We're led by faith. Because even though we go through valleys, and I'm going to tell you, there may even be failures in 2014. But when you're led by faith, even your failures can be a success if you trust God more as a result. I don't think anybody caught me there. I think maybe two or three people. Come on, even though you may have failures, when you're led by faith, even your failures are a success because you might trust God just a little bit more. Because you extended faith. Because you chose to trust in Him. Because you began to say, you know what, I'm not going to be led by sight. I'm not going to let the circumstance dictate my response. I'm going to trust what God says about me. My circumstance doesn't define me. What God says about me is what defines me. Point number two, deep valleys make high mountains. I can remember preaching a, a sermon when, when I was uh, back uh, as a youth pastor, when I was just a youth pastor. Not just a youth pastor, I was a pretty good one. Um, but when I was a youth pastor, I can remember preaching a sermon uh, that was from, from Joel 3.14, one of my favorite verses. And I remember preaching this sermon. It was called Valley of Decision. And it was, like, it was like, it started out as one sermon and ended up being like a six-month series that, that we went on as a, as a ministry. And, and the whole idea, the entire premise for the for the sermon was around seeing our valleys, not as valleys of defeat, but valleys of decision. And I might preach it again for you sometime if you're lucky. But, but what I love about this verse in, in Joel 3.14 is that it's, Joel is the prophet Joel. He's, he's writing about the valley of Jehoshaphat and he calls it the valley of decision. That same valley of Jehoshaphat is, is more commonly known as the Kidron Valley. Now, Get ready for some history because the physical geographical significance of this valley is really powerful. The valley of decision that, that Joel, the prophet, writes about is the same Kidron Valley where Josiah, he, he, he takes when he, when he discovers the scrolls and he, and he discovers that the scrolls say that there should only be one God, that, that God alone is who we will serve, that the Israelites are God's chosen people. And he, he takes all the Asherah and the Baal poles and the worship idols and all that sort of stuff. And he, he takes them into the Kidron Valley and that's where he makes the big sacrifice and he, and he burns all those poles and he, and he declares that God's... And then he, he, he kind of cuts, he gets the, the nation back into a season of blessing and prosperity under God, right? It's a valley of decision for Josiah. It wasn't a popular decision, but it was a valley of decision. That same valley, the Kidron Valley, is, is where we find the Garden of Gethsemane. The same valley, the, the same garden where, where, where Jesus goes before he goes to the cross. 
And he prays this prayer, God, if this cup could pass from me, then, then let it be. But not my will be done, but, but your will be done. A valley of decision. I got to tell you, there are, there are valley moments where there's going to be tough decisions to make. Come on, there are, there, are, there are valley moments that aren't necessarily valleys of defeat, they're valleys of decision. We can choose defeat. That's a, that's a choice that we can make. But when we're in the valley is an opportunity, not for us to choose defeat, but to choose victory. And Jesus chose victory. He said, not my will be done, but, but yours done. And I've got to tell you, our greatest point of resistance comes before our greatest breakthrough. On the other side of that valley moment for Jesus was the cross, where the greatest victory in history took place. But the greatest point of resistance always comes before the greatest point of breakthrough. Deep valleys make for deep, high mountains. The deeper the valley, the higher the mountains. And I love that God calls Gideon mighty hero. Point number three. I'm going to get the band back so we can pray for people in a minute. Point number three is this. The strength you have. Everyone say the strength you have. Verse 13, Gideon replies, so Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has... Why has all this happened? I love that. And that's, that's a valid question from Gideon. If, if God is with us, then why has all this happened? What, what about the miracles that, that we've been told about? And what about all those Sundays that we sat in church and the pastor got up there all crazy talking about God's blessing? But why has this happened? Valley moments. Still valley moments. So Gideon says, why has, why has all this happened? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over. How many people have prayed those prayers before? Just being real. Those prayers where it's like, God, where are you? I thought you were for me. I thought you were before me and meant to open doors, but I just feel like there's... Just closed doors. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. You know, this response from Gideon was, was reminiscent for me of the response that Moses gave to God when, when Moses showed up and in the burning bush and called Moses to lead the Israelites out of captivity and Moses just gave excuse after excuse why he could and how weak he was and I love the way God responded to Moses too he says this in Exodus 4 too he says Moses when Moses says God but how will they believe me and he says Moses what's in your hand I love that phrase Moses what's in your hand Moses had a staff and he, he said a shepherd's staff and God said throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground, it turns into a snake and he says pick it up and he picks it up, it turns back into a staff. And I, I love that interaction because God wasn't, God wasn't necessarily trying to find out what Moses had. God was trying to draw out what Moses had. God wasn't unaware of what limited resources Moses had. God was fully aware of what Moses had. He said, Moses, what's in your hand? Not for Moses 
Not for God to find out, but for Moses to discover that God can take whatever it is he has and apply with the miracle power of heaven. It can be the very tool to transform lives. What's in your hand? I got to tell you that everything that you need to fulfill God's plan for your life for 2014 is already within your hand. That job you have, those finances you have, that education you have, that body you have, the spouse you have, the kids you have, there you've already got everything you need to fulfill God's plan. And I'm not saying that God doesn't want you to have another new job. God's into new jobs too, but what I am saying is God's not hamstrung by the current job that you've got. That the very platform that you've got right now, God can take that platform and make a miracle out of it. God says this to Gideon, go go in the strength that you have. I love it. God's plans do not reside in your inability. They're hinged on your availability. Are we here? God's plans don't reside in your inability. God, I can't can't be used by you. I don't have what it takes. They're simply hinged on your availability. God, I'm, I'm willing to give you what I've got. You know what I've discovered is this, that the people God greatly uses don't necessarily have the best of everything. They simply make the most of everything. Let me say that again for some people. The God... The people that God greatly uses don't necessarily have the best of everything. They're simply the people that make the decision in that valley to say, God, I'm going to make the most of everything that you've given me. Maybe I don't have the best job. Maybe I don't have the best body. Maybe I don't have what it takes. I don't have the charisma of so-and-so or whatever. And Maybe I don't have the finances. I don't have the bank balance of everyone else. But God, you know what I do have? I'm going to give to you. And God, I'm going to make the most of what you've given me. Let it be a platform for you to do a miracle in my life. Let it be a platform for you to do a miracle in my colleagues' lives, in my family's lives, in the people that you've positioned me around. God, let what I do have be the very platform for a miraculous move of God. Take my valley moment of 2013, elevate it to a mountaintop moment in 2014 because God God says to Gideon, go in the strength that you have. Don't go in the strength you don't have. Don't try and find some other strength. I'm not coming today to give you a strength that's not yours. I'm saying I want to use the strength that you already have because what you have is sufficient for me. I can do something miraculous with it. Just give it to me in service. Just be obedient. Just make it available. It's not hinged in your inability. It's hinged on your availability. Come on, somebody stand up this morning. Come on, let's get a little bit crazy in here. Because I'm telling you, God has given us some strength. You might not have all the strength, but God has given you some strength. How many people have got some strength today? How many people have got some strength? God says, go in the strength that you have. Don't go in the strength that you don't have. God's not calling you to do something that's beyond your ability. I got to tell you, how many people know God has a great plan? God is not saying, come on, I, I need you to fulfill a plan, so go and get strength for it. God says, go in the strength that you already have. What you already have. The gifts, the talents, the platform, the finances, the job, the spouse, the kids, everything you already have. And I feel the Word of God right now for the first Sunday in 2014 is what's in your hand? What is it that's in your hand? You might be saying, God, well, how how is this year going to work out? God's reply is what's in your hand? What's in your hand? What's in your hand? What job do you have? 
Come on, what resources do you have? What relationships do you have? What what platform, what do you have in your hand that can be leveraged to have a move of God in your world? Come on, 2014 is not about getting new strength. It's about using the strength that you have, church. That's what this year's about. You know, we we were when we were first handed the the youth ministry that we came from, we were youth pastors for many years. And when we were first handed it, it was this, at the time it was a crippled uh, youth ministry. There'd been some crazy stuff happening in the leadership or whatever beforehand, but it was, it was, it was not in a good way. And I can remember when they said, hey, here's this ministry. We, here's the requirements. We just need you to do a Friday night service for young people and a and be on the regular preaching roster at church. And so that was the whole that was the whole job spec. That was it. That was it. The whole requirements was those two things. And and we could have easily just gone, all right, cool, we'll do that, take the paycheck and be be done. It could have been a job. But but for us, we've always seen whatever platform God gives us, we're gonna make the most of that. It's not a limiter that I can only do those things. It was a it was a platform, it was a foundation from which we can make the most of. And we began to see it as a vehicle to raise up leaders, to send out missions teams and to reach the city. And we, in the five years that we were the youth pastor, we literally saw hundreds and hundreds of lives transformed because of a platform of a Friday night and a regular preaching roster. I got to tell you that you, sometimes we have these expectations like, God, you've got to give me everything, then I'm going to be in a position to be used by you. God, if you would only give me that, those resolutions, if you could get me to this point, then I'm going to be good enough for you to use. God's like, don't, that, the point is already here. Go in the strength you have. Don't try and make something out of nothing. I've given you what you need to do everything I've called you to do. Go in the strength that you have. I love it because it says this in verse 16, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. God says, go in the strength that you have. I will be with you. In other words, God's going to do the lion's share of the work. Because to you, it's going to be as easy as just finding one man. That's what he's saying to Gideon. It's like, you're going to notice if it's like one guy, I'm going to take on the rest. What God is saying here to us this morning is, come on, if you just simply step out, it's, you're going to do the easy part. I'm going to do the hard work. I'm going to carry the load. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring the breakthrough. I'm going to be the one that's going to make the breakthrough. You don't need to worry about how the breakthrough will come. I will bring the breakthrough. All I need you to do is be available. You do the easy step. God does the hard steps. Go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that you have. Don't go in the strength you don't have. Don't wait for a strength that you don't have. Go in the strength that you already have, that what is available, what's already in your hand. And God can turn valley moments into mountaintop miracles. God can transform those circumstances and that opposition and make something powerful out of it that will transform not only your life, but everyone around you. That's the God that we serve. Thank you for listening to today's message. We trust you heard from God and that you're more encouraged, more refreshed, and more in love with Jesus than you were before. If you ever find yourself in the Bay Area, we'd love for you to come and attend a service. For more information about C3SV, please visit www.c3sv.com.
www.thepowerofpositivity.com. 